You remembered. Good job, Craig. Well, good morning. I pray everyone is doing really well this morning. So glad to, uh, to see all of you here. Uh, listen, I've got two announcements that I want to make before we get into our sermon time this morning. I am really excited about this one. I have uh, uh, been going to the Ministerial Alliance now uh, since, since we moved here. And uh, we are going to host this year's Back to School Bash here at the Eastside Church of Christ. So I want you to write down this date, Saturday, July the 30th uh, from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. This is something that uh, we are doing in partnership with the Ministerial Alliance here in Snyder. Uh, This is the first time I'll have the experience of this, but I've heard of previous experiences. I know that last year um, when the the, the Back to School Bash was put on, I believe that there were over, uh, I think I heard the number of 1,300 kids uh, that came through. And uh, so, yeah, good. Thank you, Augustine. So by the end of this month, we're going to have over a thousand kids come through this auditorium right here. So I want to tell you a little bit about this. Um, this is a great opportunity for those of us in this church to uh, serve the community and uh, to reach out. Uh, it's been hosted by the schools, I heard, over the last few years. And um, because of that, it Uh, The churches didn't have as much free reign to be able to have spiritual conversations and and engage with the kids and and so forth. Well, that's being turned over back to the churches now. And this is the first year that the churches are going to be able to host it again. So Saturday, July the 30th from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. For those of us who volunteer, there is a sign-up sheet right over here. There are two dates that I want you to remember. There are two dates where we're going to need some help, some volunteers to be able to help get ready for this. The first date is July the 16th. That's going to be on a Saturday. And that's from 8.30 in the morning till 12 p.m. And we're going to be uh, getting together a lot of school bags and some uh, different materials and things, kind of getting things ready. Uh, That'll be on Saturday morning. And then the big day is on July the 27th. That is the Wednesday night before the event itself. Um, The elders have uh, decided to go ahead and not have our classes that night. What we're going to do on that night is as a church, uh, we're just going to have a service night to get ready for the back-to-school bash. But let me share with you some of the things that we're going to be doing. This is incredible. I love this. We're going to be helping uh, get kids registered for school. Um, There's going to be free haircuts. Let me tell you something. I'm all over that one with five kids. Uh, It gets expensive, okay? Free haircuts. Uh, There's going to be a community resource fair. They're going to be giving out free clothes, uh, free food, free school supplies. And most importantly... The Eastside Church of Christ is going to have the opportunity, as we're passing out these things, to give out Jesus. Uh, So, absolutely, amen. So if you're willing uh, to, to, to please be a part of that, just as you're leaving this morning, go over there and sign your name up on one of those two uh, sheets. Sign up on both of them, okay, if you can. That would be wonderful, wonderful. Let's help make this a great success this year. The other thing that I want to tell you about is something that's been going on now for about three weeks, and that is we have started our, up our discipleship trainings again. And so if you would uh, like to be a a part of that, let me tell you a little bit about that. We're focusing on upreach, which is that vertical part of our relationship with God. Um, If you want to go deeper with God, let me tell you about some of the things that we're learning. Uh, We're learning how to to sit in stillness with God. We're learning how to listen for the Holy Spirit. Um, we're, We're learning how to hear God's voice. We're learning how to recognize His activity in our lives and in other people's lives. 
And then starting this Thursday on July the 7th from 6 to 7, and then also next Sunday from 1.30 to 2.30, we're going to be introducing another spiritual discipline into the mix. Uh, We're going to be doing biblical meditation. And so not only are we going to be learning how to hear God's Spirit through devotion with Him, through having a deeper relationship with Him, but how do you hear God's Holy Spirit through His Word as you listen to the Holy Spirit teach you His Word? So uh, if you want to be a part of that, just come this Thursday. Again, we'll be starting that at uh, 6 p.m. Okay, so we started off last Sunday, if you remember, looking at the work of the Holy Spirit through the Old Testament. Uh, If you are visiting with us this morning, if you have not been a part of this series, um, we have a brand new series that we've been doing now for several weeks called Catching Fire, and it is a sermon on who is the Holy Spirit. This is probably one of the most uh, misunderstood aspects of the Trinity, is the third person of the Trinity, who is the Holy Spirit. And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at who he is, what does the Bible have to say about him, and what kind of work does he engage in. And so last Sunday... We started looking at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And one of the things that you realize when you read the Old Testament and you go through the Bible is that there is this thing in the Bible called progressive revelation. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is is that over time, God reveals more and more about a particular subject. Does that make sense? So when you turn to the book of Genesis, you don't know everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit. You have to keep turning the pages. And what you realize is that in the Old Testament, they didn't have a very clear understanding of who the Holy Spirit was. Now, by the time you get to the prophets toward the very end of the Old Testament, by the time you get to Jesus, now the prophets are starting to talk more and more about God's Holy Spirit. It's not until you get into the New Testament that Jesus Christ begins to take center stage. And then it's after he's raised from the dead that the Holy Spirit takes center stage. So it's interesting. In the Old Testament, who's the one that uh, you learn about the most in the Old Testament? The Father, right? And then after that, you turn to the New Testament, to the Gospels. Who's the one that you learn about in the Gospels? The Son. And then you turn to the book of Acts onward throughout the rest of the letters, and the whole rest of the book, the whole rest of the Bible, you learn about who? The Holy Spirit, as he has lived through the church, okay? So the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, nevertheless, we did learn a few things in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit, okay? What were some of those things that we learned? Well, number one, we learned that he's the creator. He's the giver. He's the sustainer of life. He's the one in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, 2, who gives the breath of life. If you are living this morning, if you are alive then it's because the Holy Spirit animates you and gives you the life that you have. Does that make sense? Listen, God is sovereign. All he's got to do is turn it off, (laughs) okay? He sustains you by the power of his word, and that is the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting because uh, in the book of Genesis, what do we find the Holy Spirit doing? Well, he's hovering over the dark and the void, isn't he? There was darkness. There was a void. There was a, 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 it was, it was chaotic, if you will. Well, Does he do the same thing in the New Testament? Yes, he does. He broods over the darkened hearts of humankind, doesn't he? In the Old Testament, he was the one who was waiting on bated breath when God said, let there be light. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? He gets to work creating light. Well, guess what? In a spiritual sense, he does the same thing. He's brooding over the hearts of sinful men, and he's waiting to give that light into the light of those sinful men so that they can wake up and see who God is. He does the same thing. He carries out the same exact function. Another thing we learned about the Holy Spirit 
is that he strives with man. He strives with man. In the days leading up to the flood, we saw that it says that he strives with man, but he will not strive with him forever. We said that that striving is what? It is the work of the Holy Spirit upon humankind to try to convince them and convict them of their sin, right? To show them the right way, to get them to change their ways. Does he do that in the New Testament? Yes, he does. We said that he does. John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so again, until that second coming of Jesus Christ, what is the Spirit doing? He's doing the same thing he did leading up to the first destruction that he's doing leading up to the second destruction. He's striving with man. He's striving with man. He's out there striving with our community right now as we're sitting in here, right? He's trying to get them to come to understand who God is. We learned that he's the presence of God. In the New Testament, we're going to see him carry out that same function to be present with us. In the Old Testament, he was present at the tabernacle. He was present at the temple. In the New Testament, he's present in the temple, which is who? Which is you, right? Which is us, okay? So he is the presence of God. We also learned that he can enable people to have supernatural creativity. He can enable them to have leadership and wisdom and strength. And military skills. He does the same in the New Testament. We saw that he moved upon people and caused them to be able to to speak words from God. And we saw that the the Spirit could speak through the prophets and he would give dreams and he would give visions and, and things like that in the New Testament. Now, I did fail to mention this last time. And it's mainly because I had too much material last time, and I I just kind of piggybacked it over here to this one. But there's one more aspect of the Holy Spirit that we see him do or perform in the Old Testament as well in the New Testament, and that is what? He writes the Bible. That's a big one, isn't it? The Bible that you and I are reading right now is there because the Holy Spirit inspired men and women of God to be able to write these words that we have now contained in the Scriptures. Listen to what this says right here. 2 Peter chapter 1, 20-21 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. God, listen guys, man did not write this book. Man did not write this book. So what happened? He tells you what happened. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now that's the NIV. The NIV says that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does that word mean? Most of your translations probably don't say carry along. It's another word that I went and checked and it's in most of your translations and it says that they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I'm curious, how many of your translations say that they were moved by the Holy Spirit? Not many. Most of you are in the NIV, aren't you? A lot of you are, okay? Let me tell you why that's significant. I love that translation moving or the moving of it because it's that language that you see all throughout the Old Testament. Give me an example. It's like when the Spirit moved upon the surface of the waters, right? He moved upon the surface of the waters. It's in the moving of the Spirit that you see His activity, that you see His miracles. It was the removing of the Holy Spirit prior to the flood when He says, I will not strive with man anymore. I will remove my presence. I will remove myself from this situation. And then later on, again, it is the moving of these men to write the Bible. Now, what does the word move mean? I love this. I could almost just tell you this and stop preaching right now because I think this is a good one. I love this point. The word to move 
in the Hebrew Bible is the same idea from which we get this idea right here. It is the wind that feels a sail that gives it the strength and the power to move forward. Did you catch what I just said? They were moved by the Holy Spirit. If you were to have a picture in your mind, it's almost as if here's what happens. When you are surrendered to the Lord, you do what? You throw your hands out and surrender. That's like you putting up the sails. You're ready. You're saying, I'm willing. I'll go wherever you want to go. I'll do whatever you want to do. I'll say whatever you want to say. And when you throw those arms up, when you throw the sails up, you're saying, Holy Spirit, wind blow. And when that wind blows, it moves you in the right direction. That is how the Spirit of God works in your life. He moves you. So in the Old Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit came upon certain people at times. And when the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people at times, it was always to empower them, to give them something a little extra. Why? Because God had a plan for them. He had a mission for them. He had a a task that they were supposed to carry out. And typically, again, who received the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? It was the prophets. It was the priests, right? It was the kings. It was not the general people. And so that's where we ended last week, rounding out the Old Testament. And when you go back and you look at the prophecies, let me go back here. I, I thought I had a slide up, but I don't. That foretold the day when the Messiah would soon come. And this is important, I think, for us. Because in the churches of Christ, and this is the way that I was taught. This is the way that I was taught in church before I went to college. This is the way that I was taught in college. But we've been taught over the years that the Holy Spirit worked in a special way in the New Testament. But then after the New Testament was completed, that's it. The Holy Spirit ceases his work right then and there. There's no more need for the Holy Spirit. What you have to realize, though, is that when you read the Old Testament prophets, when you get to the very end of the Old Testament, they were telling the people, you need to be expecting two things. Now, this is important. The expectation that had grown up until the very end, when you close the book of Malachi, there are certain prophetic messianic expectations that the people of God were waiting for, were excited about, were hoping for by the time you open up the first page of the book of Matthew. What are those expectations? We looked at some of those prophecies last week. But let me give you two of There's two of them. The number one thing that the prophets in the Old Testament began to tell the people to look forward to, he says, one day soon... There's going to be the coming of the Messiah. Okay? And he's called the anointed one in the Old Testament. What does that mean? It is the idea of taking the oil, the olive oil, and the pouring it out over the head of the prophet, the priest, and the king. That gesture symbolizes the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the anointing on that person's life. Does that make sense? Okay? So they said one day soon, the anointing was going to come. Now, why is that important? Because this person is not going to be like any prophet, any priest, any king that you've ever met. Those people had the Holy Spirit upon them. But they began to teach that when the Messiah comes, he would have the Holy Spirit living in him and through him. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that one I think we understand. But listen to this. Listen to this. Actually, I brought this up too. This is... um, Sandy, one of her favorite passages of Scripture. We talked about it last week. But I love this because this is another prophecy from the book of Isaiah about Jesus and the type of of relationship that he will have with the Holy Spirit. Look at this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. 
The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Now, if you notice, there are seven qualities there of the Holy Spirit. Scholars call it the sevenfold Holy Spirit. It's not seven spirits. It's the Holy Spirit in his fullness. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus has, the Holy Spirit in his fullness. Now, what's the second thing that the prophets told the people to begin expecting? Now, this is the one I love, and this is the one that we don't know very much in the church. Number two, that the pouring out of the gift of the Holy Spirit is part of the new covenant. The fullness of the Spirit is not just for the Messiah. The fullness of the Spirit is also for Messiah's people. Does that make sense? His people, his people. So if you remember, we closed last Sunday reading a few of these prophecies that look forward to these things. I'm not going to take the time to go back and read them all, but I'm going to give you the references in case you want to go read them. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 38. And Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take all three of those, and I'm going to try to sum those up in two sentences, okay? Here's what those prophecies tell us. In the time when the Messiah comes, one thing that will be uniquely different about the new covenant that he brings is that the Holy Spirit will no longer be an external reality. Instead, in the new covenant that God is going to make with his people, inaugurated with the blood of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of sins, now the Holy Spirit gets to come in and live in the individual person. Watch this. And move them. And move them. You say, Tim, I don't know. Is that in the Bible? It is. It's in this verse right here that most people misunderstand. This is Paul. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Stop right there. Man, we have lost the idea of the fear of the Lord in the modern church. Because what is that telling you? It says that we need to work out, live out the salvation that we have. Why? Because God, God works in you. He's moving you. And he does two things on the inside of you. Number one, he gives you the will. How many people in this room this morning want to live holy? Raise your hand. That's from the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now the second part we struggle with, and to act. You know why we struggle with the second one? We struggle with the second one because we struggle with faith. Because the prophecy, the the scripture tells us that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, right? So the Holy Spirit is telling you that you have everything you need right now living inside of you to live a holy life and to escape sin. Because the Holy Spirit has promised you he will move you away from sin. He will encourage you to attack sin, to get rid of sin. And he will give you the ability to act for God's purposes. That's the beauty of having the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You know what? That's exactly what our discipleship trainings are all about on Thursdays. 
The discipleship trainings that we're doing on Thursdays is all about learning how to become aware of the moves of God on the spirit, on this in the spirit on the inside, how God moves you to, to, to greater holiness. And you can see this change from the old covenant to the new covenant. And that's the main thing that I wanted to talk about this morning. Next week, we're going to dig a little deeper into the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And then I'll tell you what, a Sunday after that, I'm going to take you to what I call the Holy of Holies of Scripture, where Jesus himself, before he's crucified, gives his disciples a very intimate teaching that's found nowhere else in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. And he gives them insights that are incredible about what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit. That's two weeks from today. But for this morning, the main thing that I want you to see is the big transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you're going to see the Holy Spirit begin to take more precedence. He's going to have more front and center activity. And you can see this change from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant in the life of the men who walked with Jesus, who wound up writing the rest of the New Testament. Because I love watching the disciples, because when you watch them, you can watch them walk out of the Old Covenant in the Gospels and into the New Covenant in the book of Acts. And what you can do is that you can, by watching them, get a clear picture of what it means to walk in the new covenant. Does that make sense? And we'll talk more about this as we go along. And so what do you see? You see 12 guys walk with Jesus. They spend three and a half years with Jesus. They live under the law, under the old covenant. They experience the Spirit among them, mainly with Jesus being among them. Jesus is crucified. He's buried. Three days later, he's resurrected. What happens next? They wait 50 days all the way to the day of Pentecost. And that's when the Spirit of God comes just as he promised. And it's at that moment, it's at that moment when the Spirit of God comes and begins to dwell in the apostles and then every one of the people that the apostles baptized, when that begins to happen, it's there where you see the beginning of the new covenant. Now, do you see how this challenges the, the traditional way that we in churches of Christ have been taught about the Holy Spirit. Because we've been taught that he did these things in the first century and that's it. But what the Bible teaches us here is that the Holy Spirit was the greatest hope of Israel. The Holy Spirit was the, one of the greatest expectations of Israel. He said, behold, the days are coming when I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the old one that you broke. The new one is I'm going to have the law written on your heart and I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to want to follow my decrees, to have the ability to follow my decrees. So that's one of the greatest hopes of the Old Testament is that God is going to fix the problem. And that's what he does with Jesus Christ. He fixes the problem. He gets rid of sin. He creates a holy space for his spirit to come inside of us. Jesus tells his disciples about this coming tr uh, transition Got a little ahead of myself here. John 14, 16 through 17, he says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you. And he has, right? The Holy Spirit has been living with the nation of Israel since the Old Testament. He lives with you. He's been with them, with Jesus He'll be with you, but soon he will be in you. And when does that happen? 
on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost. Those two prepositions, with you and in you, make all the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. They make all the difference. When you and I take upon ourselves this this Lord's Supper that we just did a few moments ago, Rick, when you came up here, every single time we drink of that fruit of the vine, every single time we eat that piece of bread, it is a reminder of this new covenant that you and I have where we get to experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. Okay. So here, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit was still yet future. And you might ask the question, why didn't Jesus just go ahead and give them the Spirit now? Why did he wait until he died and was raised? The Bible tells us. Look at John 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said with a loud voice, Let anybody who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive, up until that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So Jesus says, now you guys wait. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for your sins. And through the power of the Spirit, I'm going to be raised. And when I ascend and go back to the Father, that's when I'm going to send you the promised gift that the Father has been wanting to give you ever since the prophets in the Old Testament. Amen. Now, that gets us ready for what we're going to talk about next Sunday. And I, and I hope that you see uh, that with each week, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the Holy Spirit. Um, this week, we talked about the transition of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Next week, we're going to and invite your friends, okay? Uh, this is something I would love to see more people coming, more visitors coming. But next week, we're going to look at the life of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this, and we're going to close. Have you ever wondered why Jesus Christ was baptized? You ever wondered that? Because what is baptism? The baptism of John was the baptism of repentance. Repentance from what? From what? Repentance of sin. So Jesus was baptized for the remission or for the repentance of sin. But Jesus isn't sinful. So why does he do it? Second mystery, when he's baptized, did you remember that there's another person that shows up at his baptism? Who is it? The Holy Spirit. He shows up as a dove. Why does he show up as a dove? Do you know? You're not supposed to say it this week. That's next Sunday. (laughs) She knows, man. She's ready to answer. I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. So here's why I'm saying all this. What if the life of Jesus Christ is more than just the things that he said What if the life of Jesus Christ is actually the very model that we are supposed to watch and live by because he is a picture of what life walking in the Holy Spirit looks like? We're going to talk about that next Sunday, okay? And you can help me teach the class, all right? You can help me teach, preach the sermon. All right, here we go. Let's go ahead and wrap up here. Um, And uh, we're going to pray and we'll have our invitation song. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had this morning. God, I pray that you've been able to use this, this weak, old, broken vessel known as a preacher. Um, I pray that somewhere in the midst of everything that I've said, that we've been encouraged, that we've heard your word, um, that we've seen that, um, that what we experience today 
is the beauty of everything that you did on the cross 2,000 years ago. We're so grateful for your spirit that he has not left us. You have not left us as orphans as you promised us, Lord, um, that you would be with us even to the very end of the age. And so we're, we're just acknowledging that. We are cognizant of that, Father, this morning. And we pray that you would fill us even more with your Holy Spirit, Father. I'm reminded of the book of Acts, God. There were many times where you gave fresh infillings of your Holy Spirit, and so we pray for that this morning. And God, I pray for, um, and for all the, the, the activities that we've been talking about. I pray that you would help us to, to make the uh, back-to-school bash a great success here. I pray that we would give glory and honor to your holy name. And Father, we pray that, uh, that you would just be with those who are, are thinking about responding to the invitation right now. Uh, Lord, I pray that you, as your spirit is striving with them, working on them in their hearts, that you would help them to know that this is a, a, a specially created time for them to respond. And as you're moving them, Father, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, if you need to respond to the invitation, I'm going to ask uh, elders or anybody who uh, feels led to do so, go ahead and move aside. And if you need prayer, come forward right now as we stand and sing. Oh, I knew I was going to do it. Before I do, Augustine, where are you? Okay. Maxanne, if you would, nice and loud, Maxanne has a quick announcement before we have our invitation song. Go ahead. So for those of you, go ahead. 4,011. 4,011. Uh, I'm sorry, Ernie. 4,011 urgency. 4,011 what? Street it is. Come on. Um, so for those of you who didn't hear, there's going to be a baptism right after uh, service. Uh, one of Augustine's friends is going to be over uh, next door to your house at 4,011 Irving Street. And if you would like to be a part of that, then you were invited. So, okay.